So, um, as has become somewhat customary in our fourth, uh, four times doing this, I'll start by reading a letter of the Rebbe that I came across in this fine safer called In Good Hands that I think, uh, I know it spoke to me and it speaks to kind of, what's that, the book? It's selling it for a discount? How much are you selling it for? I don't know. Nice. Baruch Hashem. It's a great book. We need it now. So... Just a very, uh, a very straightforward short letter that the Rebbe wrote in 1951. We've spoken a number of times, and I've made the point to repeat that it's amazing how the Rebbe pushed this idea of learning Chayvus Levavos Shar B'Tachan almost from the get-go, and especially to those who were coming out of the Holocaust right when he took over the leadership. And these were people that really had what to struggle with. They've, you know, they experienced all types of horrors, whether individually or in their family or just being around you know we have been around for two weeks since Hamas uh, did what they did in Israel and it's hard to, to, to breathe imagine God forbid what the people came in, coming out of the Holocaust must have felt um, as far as you know God and where they fit in the scheme of things and how do bad things happen to uh, good people so the Rebbe writes as following greetings and blessings just now I dispatched a telegram to you and I'm most surprised at your low spirits. You should follow the directives of two medical specialists and muster the strength in your trust in God, who will no doubt restore your former health with blessings for a speedy recover, my signature. Please study, sorry, people study and study. But when it comes to practical, practical application, where is the trust? You should study three or four times over and it goes without saying that I do not mean that you should study it all at once, but in the course of a few weeks. With blessings for a speedy recovery and awaiting good news of your physical and spiritual health. And the Rebbe's signature, this is from 15th Menachem of 1951. So quite immediately he was pushing the Sefer and not, I mean, pretty strong words, not even once, not twice, but multiple times to learn it. So, I heard a story, I was Googling, um, you know, Betachen and war, to kind of see what, uh, what's available, because it's not necessarily talked about specifically that I remember in the book, and I came across a story that was not really connected, but it was a great story, by uh, Rabbi Biederman. And if you've heard the story, I don't know, but it, I thought it was fascinating, and it was about a, there was a guy that lived in Israel, and his daughter got engaged to be married, and he planned the trip, like many who live in Israel do, to travel to New York and go through the, uh, the fundraising. You know, they go to different shuls and raise money for the wedding costs in Israel. Um, it's, you know, sometimes you're in a shul, especially in New York, and people will come over to you and tell you they have a wedding, give them a few dollars, and it's a whole business. The people that need it, there's drivers that will pick them up in the morning, they pay them a certain commission, they know which shuls to go to, they know where the spots are, who the houses are, and these people are able to pay for different things. You know, fundraising for a wedding is one of them. So this guy, um, his name is Rabbi Berkowitz, I believe. His daughter gets engaged. He makes the trip. He flies to New York. He makes plans with the driver to pick him up early in the morning. He's going to pick him up from the Munkacher Shul. I guess it was the earliest minion that he was going to start at. Driver doesn't show. And he's there to raise money, the guy doesn't show up, he tries to call the number, the guy's not picking up, the guy doesn't know what to do. 
So clearly, he wasn't a man of tremendous means. If he was, he wouldn't have traveled to, from Israel to New York to raise money for his daughter's wedding. So most people, at least I would have probably been pretty ticked off and most stressed out. And here I already had problems as it was. And now I'm in New York. I flew all the way here. This driver totally ditched me. And what am I supposed to do? I'm losing precious time to go fundraise money as the time goes by. But he was very relaxed. And he decided he's in shul. What's he going to do? Say Tillim. So he sits down and he starts to say Tillim. A guy walks over to him after a few minutes and says, um, You're saying Tillim? I need you to say Tillim. Say Tillim for me. Here's my, my name. And he gives him $500. He goes, And this is for your, just sit here and, and don't, don't, uh, don't, you know, don't move until you say the Tillim. So he's like, Okay, no problem. He's like, Give me your phone number. I'm going to call you later. The guy tells the guy, he goes, you don't have to give my phone, I'm not moving from here. I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm saying till him, this is what I'm doing today. He goes, okay. And the guy runs out. And the guy thinks, okay, I mean, $500 is nice, it's obviously not going to pay for a wedding, but he continues to say till him. X amount of hours later, he's still there, driver never showed up, and this guy comes back, and he tells him, a crazy thing just happened. Says, what happened? He says, well... I had a court case today. And when I saw you this morning, I had a big problem. My lawyer, who's a defense attorney, couldn't get a hold of the guy. Wasn't picking up my phone call, nothing. Could not get the guy on the phone. And I was freaking out. So I saw you in shul, and I knew that. I, I said, here's some money, say to him. And I went to the court. And, you know, when you come to a case, especially one that's of, of, of significance, it doesn't show well, he's explaining to the Israeli guy, to show up without an attorney. It's almost like a mockery on the court, you know, like you're not taking this seriously, you don't have a representation. You know, it's one thing if, uh, if um, it's one thing if you can't afford one, but it, just to show up, I'm representing myself. Because well, what am I supposed to do? My whole case is prepared with my attorney. It's a serious case. The guy's not picking up the phone, so I head to the court. And... He's like, go in front of the judge, and he's like, attorney, he's like, I'm here, your honor, to state my case. And the judge says to me, wow, you must really be confident in your case. And he listens to everything the guy says, and he rules in favor of the guy, rules in favor of the guy. So the guy comes back, and he's like, you have to understand something. In this type of case, the best thing we were looking to, best chance, and certainly not today, with some sort of settlement agreement. Like, I'll give, you give, we'll come together, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's, it's just unheard of. And the guy's like, ah. Anyways, he says, thank you so much. And he takes out an envelope and he says, here's $5,000. It's uh, for my lawyer fee. So you said, tell him, you, okay. So he says, now tell me, who are you? What are you doing here? Like, he didn't even get that far in, in the conversation. And if I'm misquoting this story, I didn't give my full disclaimer, but I apologize. It's the talkless of it that, ma that, that matters. And the guy says, um, the guy says, well, my daughter got engaged. I flew from Israel. This morning, my driver disappeared. So I said, tell him. And then you walked over to me and you said, stay here. I have nowhere else to go. And, and that's the story. The guy's, oh, you're here for your, your daughter's wedding. Amazing. He, um, he asks him for the, the information of this guy's, of, of the guy's, you know, when he gets back to Israel. Meanwhile, later, I guess, 
the story continues because the guy ends up coming to Israel later or sending more money for the wedding later. But the lawyer calls up and says, I've been practicing for 40 years. I've never slept in, in my life. I don't know what to tell you. I'm so sorry. And he re- goes on to tell the lawyer the, what happened. And the lawyer thinks he's, he's lying. And he gets in the transcript. And the lawyer never heard of such a thing that a case gets thrown out like this. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. In New York, it just doesn't happen. So certainly not because he didn't have a lawyer. The driver calls, and he says to the other guy, ah, which I I'm so sorry, I forgot of this or that, the other thing. He's like, how about tomorrow we, we go around? He goes, no problem, tomorrow they go around. Anyways, the guy ends up sending the guy for his wedding another $5,000 the day of the wedding. So this guy ends up, I guess 10000 was is enough for the, for the wedding in Israel, and he makes a wedding. This guy's, this guy's you know, um, case gets thrown out. And, and in the story, Rabbi, Rabbi Biederman does quote the actual names of where they're from. He's very into making sure that the, the stories are traceable. And it was, it's just a fascinating story of, of Betachen. This guy should have been completely broken because he flew to New York to raise money for his daughter. And ultimately, everything going wrong is exactly what needed. In fact, it was easier for him to raise the money. And the other guy, same thing. His whole court case got thrown out because... Uh, because his lawyer was a was a shlomazel, so just an interesting uh, story that I uh, that I heard, and uh, you know I guess when you're working on your betachin, you always daven and pray that you should be able to see it come to fruition as uh, clear as that story. Of course, not always does it, but it's nice to to hear a story once in a while that reminds you that it is tangible. It does it does work. And there is something to it, and it's uh, it's not easy, but you can get there. So, with that being said. So we're going to continue inside the Sefer, and what we're in the middle of doing is, we are, we're still in the introduction actually, we're on page um, 22. We're still in the introduction, and we've been talking about the ten different ways that the alchemist, whom is, uh, we, we referenced as the, 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 the money printer, you know, the guy who can turn metals into gold, uh, who, who seemingly should have no problems, how he is, when you compare him to someone who puts his trust in, in God, how that is a, a, an advantage over the guy who can print money. And what's interesting is we're not actually explaining how to get there. We're still talking about, which is very much the style of the author, of laying out what's going to happen and what you're going to realize as you go through the book. So he's just discussing now what's going to be once we learn how to have betachem, you know, what you can expect and what's some of the qualities that you'll walk away with, and we actually have not decided, um, started to really break down what's, how you do it. It's more of the, uh, the results. What's that? That's oh. probably me. <laughs> so. Appreciate it. No worries. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to end the, we'll end the, the, the introduction and next week we'll start the first chapter it's literally all talking about what will happen once you have betach and what kind of lifestyle you can expect so we are in uh, I think we're in the ninth way if I'm not mistaken if anybody remembers differently yeah, it's, yeah? okay so as always I'm not going to try to out translate the translation I'm going to read it in English I'll highlight some of the notes on the bottom that caught my attention and I definitely don't think it th- I do it justice so do it again on your own, for sure. So the ninth manner in which the person who has betachen is superior to the alchemist. The alchemist's alchemy will not accompany him to the end of his days in the world to come. 
Even in this world, he will gain nothing other than freedom from poverty and from reliance on other people. Conversely, a person who trusts in God finds that the reward for his trust will accompany him both in this world and the world to come. As it says in Tillim, but one who trusts in Hashem, kindness will encompass him. This is a very famous Pasuk, at least I'm sure you've heard it and seen it, and it's in a million and a half songs. Is that you put your trust in Hashem and kindness will surround you. It also says in Tillim, how abundant is your goodness that you have hidden for those who fear you. The Pasuk continues with the words of you have acted for those who take refuge in you, from which we see that the Pasuk is specifically referring to a person who has betachin and relying on Hashem. So, quite simply put, is having the ability to print money is helpful, kind of, in this world, but it certainly does nothing for you and your greater objectives as a Jew to, and we're in the world to come, um, etc. Whereas putting trust in Hashem doesn't only give you a better quality of life for the other eight reasons we've already listed before, but it also helps for the bottom line, which is for Oilam Haba, etc. The tenth manner in which a person who has betachen is superior to the alchemist if the secret cause of the alchemist's wealth becomes known to others, it will be the cause of his death, because his efforts and labor are contrary to the rules of nature. Therefore, God, who controls everything, will cause a ruler to rule over the alchemist and kill him, if the alchemist is unable to conceal his secret. Conversely, a person who trusts in Hashem, when his trust in Hashem is publicly revealed, he will become greater in the eyes of the creations, and people will honor him. Those people will be blessed due to the proximity to him, or even at the mere sight of him, and he will be the cause for improvements in his city. Additionally, the person for, who has betachen will also push away harm from other people, from the, from the people of his place of living. The author will now quote a pasuk as support for the, his first point, that the person who has betachen will be the cause for improvements in his city, followed by an anecdote to support for the second point, that a righteous person has the ability to stop harm from befalling the people of the city. As it says in, in Mishlei, the righteous is the foundation of the world, and as we see the story of Light and Zayar. So, the notes on the bottom is that, obviously, well, before we, we go to the notes, obviously, the, the meaning here is quite simple, is if you're printing money and breaking the law, you're going against what's supposed to be, you're going to get caught, you're going to go to prison, you're going to get shot, you're, you're done. Um, whereas, by Putting your betachin in Hashem, it's not only is it not illegal, it's uh, highly um, encouraged. And it's a, it's a beautiful trait to bring upon yourself. And it says in the bottom that as far as um, it'll help the people in the city, it's, this is a footnote on the bottom of 24. As the Talmud says, every day there's a heavenly voice that announces, the whole world receives its sustenance in order that that and because of my son Rebchanina ben Daisa should have sustenance. So the Baal Shem Tov explains this passage as follows. Is that Talmudic, the Talmudic word for in order is bishvil, which can also be translated as pathway or conduit. Accordingly, the Talmud is saying that the whole world is receiving its sustenance through the conduit and pathway of sustenance of Rab Chanina has created. So again, cr- highlighting this point that by having betachin, you can bring a lot of good to your community as well and to those around you. And as far as what we're referring to with light, I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that it says right here, God had originally decreed that desire be destroyed along with Sodom, yet God saved, it, God saved it because light chose to settle there. So light actually, who was no great shakes, brought merit to, to, uh, to the area because he, 
he uh, chose to, to live there. So there's two examples of how having betachen can not only have the opposite effect of what happens to the money printer, but it can help. So now he's going to go on to list practical advantages of having betachen, what you can expect. This is the uh, join the gym, lose 50 pounds, you know, uh, whatever you, you're sold on a, when you have the infomercials and you're sold on a product that... Uh, you want to see what it's going to do to your life? This is now he's going to tell us what we're going to get by the time we're finished this. So first is financial satisfaction. Having finished enumerating the ten ways in which a person who has betachen is superior to the alchemist, the author continues with the other Torah advantages to having betachen. So among the advantages of betachen with regard to the Torah observance, that a person who places his trust in God will utilize his finances correctly. This applies to both rich and poor people who have betachen. For if he has money, he will hurry to fulfill his obligations to God, such as buying kosher tefillin, tzitzis, extra food for Shabbos, and the like, as well as fulfilling his obligations to other people, such as fulfilling the mitzvah of charity, giving out a loan to those in need, and so on. He will do so willingly and generously. So if he's blessed with abundance, and he has trust in Hashem, he's going to go and you know, accomplish everything to the utmost degree. He'll spend the money on the best pair of tefillin, People need charity. He's writing checks because he's got trust in Hashem. He's not worried about what will be tomorrow and whether or not I'm going to have enough or not have enough. And the opposite of that, if he has trust and he's broke, he has no money, then he'll pay attention to the fact that the lack of money is actually a kindness from a God upon him. Why? How is that so? This is because as a result of lacking money, he's relieved of the obligation to Hashem and to other people which would have been incumbent upon him due to his money. So he'll say there with peace of mind, you know what, thank God, I'm broke. I can't be busy giving loans, I can't be busy writing checks to charity, I can't buy the best tool that's out there because i got no money anyway. So I'm going to focus my attention on other things. Not such a bad deal. I mean, let me rephrase that. Not the one I'm looking for, but I guess from that perspective, if you have been talking, it, 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 he's, he's positive. He also has fewer worries about guarding the money and taking care of it. He, he, he don't, if you don't have a big business, you're not worried about it. If you have no money, you don't have to worry about losing it. So he's got a pretty peaceful life. As has been said regarding... What's that? Oh. As has been said regarding one of the pious men, that he would say, May God save me from the scattering of the mind. And they asked him, What is the scattering of the mind? And he answered, Were I, have to, were, were, were I to have money at the port of each river and to the heights of each city? So a man who is wealthy often has possessions in many locations, and as a result his thoughts are scattered in different places, which is referred to as a scattering of the mind. And this is the top of page 27, what the sages of blessed memory meant when they said in Pirkei Avos, the more possessions, the more worry. And when they also said in Pirkei Avos, who is truly wealthy, a person who is content with his lot. That's where more money, more problems came Absolutely, that's the original uh, source of the song. Yep, happens to be, it's a well-known thing that Puff Daddy used to uh, learn Pirkei Avos. Yes, everyone knows that. A person who trusts in God. Well, listen, Biggie, Biggie grew up near Crown Heights. What do you think? There was a... He grew up to in Crown Heights, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know this? Does anybody know who the B.I.G. is that live in Crown Heights? Yeah, Nostrand Bedford. He was a Crown Heights boy. I don't know about that, but he was... So a person who trusts in God will receive all the benefits of the money, and I mean to say the benefits of his parnasa, while the disturbing thoughts of a wealthy person and his constant worry will be withheld from him, as the wise man Shlema HaMelech said in Ecclesiastes, okay, Kahelas, is the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the, the satiety of the rich does not allow him to sleep. So the fourth Torah benefit in contrast to a person who does not have betachin 
is the person who does will utilize his financial situation, whether he's rich or poor, to further his service of Hashem, while a person who lacks betachen will constantly be stressed and unable to serve God properly. So he knows how to be happy with his lot because he's got strong betachen. The next thing is financial responsibility. Among the Torah benefits of betachen is that the money of the person who trusts in God will not disturb him from trusting in Him, and neither his wealth nor lack of it a cause for him to sin. It's interesting that all of these are they're, they're, he's shining a light of the Torah benefit, of the spiritual benefit of the physical of the spiritual outcome of the physical reality that you're, you're living. He's not even talking yet about just the physical. Um, outcome of it. He's, he's looking at it through the light of, of being a, uh, an observant Jew or a Torah Jew, how, uh, how it might play itself out. So among the Torah benefits of Betachen is that the money of the person who trusts in God will not disturb him from trusting in him, and neither his wealth nor lack of it cause for him to sin. This is because he will not rely on his money. Rather, he considers it as a deposit, which he has been instructed to use in a certain way and for certain purposes for a designated amount of time. If his wealth continues to remain with him, he will not re- rebel as a result of it, nor will he remind the one whom he has been instructed to be kind to of his kindness, nor will he ask to be repaid for his kindness, nor will he ask to be thanked or praised. Instead, he will thank his Creator, may he be blessed, who put him in this position to be the means for the goodness of the recipient. A person who trusts in Hashem does not consider his money to be his. Rather, he sees it as God's money, which has been placed in his care. Therefore, he will not take credit or ask for appreciation when he uses his money to help others. Instead, he will thank God for being chosen to have the opportunity to help those in need. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that he has to take 100% of his money and use it for these things. Because part of tzedakah is that you give 10% at a minimum and you're not supposed to give more than a fifth, which is 20% and as a general rule. So if he's wealthy, 20 cents of the dollar is going towards charity. He's still enjoying 80%, 80 cents of, of his dollars are, are for his lifestyle. Or for his, you know, if he wants to give more charity, he can. But it's, it's not to say that the person is completely doing nothing but, all of, you know, but, but charity. It's that he's very comfortable with, with, with where he is and, and what his situation is. And, and, and many times, I mean, you, you, I've seen, I think we've all seen it, there's... You know, there's, there's a certain, you, you, when, you, when someone gives charity, it can either be from a place of I'm doing you a favor, or let me rephrase that. If you've been the recipient of anything, and later he talks about if you've written, a, if you've received a, a paycheck, it's very easy to very quickly feel a certain sense of gratitude to the person who's giving you whatever they're giving you, whether it's a donation, charity, a loan, or a paycheck. And you want to give thanks. Now, there's an idea of giving thanks, and he talks about that in, later in the book as well. But on the flip side, that person very easily can get lost in that story. Then, yeah, like, like I, because of me, you're getting a paycheck. Because of me, you'll be able to pay your bills for this loan I've given you. Because of me, you'll have the donation that you were looking for. Because of me. And it's very, you know, it, it's, it's a powerful idea to consider it that it's, it's not because of you. It happens to be that God gave you money. And he's given you an opportunity to be the distributor of the capital that he wanted to get to that source. So if you're giving it a loan, it's not that you are giving the loans. Hashem wants to give the loan to this certain guy, and he chose you to be the conduit. And it's, it, it's an interesting you know, f- frame of mind, both for the recipient and for the giver, 
to remember that it's not you. You're not receiving from him and he's not giving from himself. It's all from Hashem. So it's, 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 a pretty, uh, it's a pretty humbling thought process when you think about it that way, is that you're not giving a guy business. You know, I mean, I've thought of myself, it's like, I'm giving him business. I'm not giving him business. Hashem is giving him business. The fact that he's giving him business through you is because it, Hashem chose it to be that way. But I'm not giving him business. That's, that's a really, uh, it's, it's, it's the wrong mindset. It's easier said than done, but if you can think that way, it's, it's a much more altruistic, is that altruistic the right word in this sense? Altruistic perspective. Even if he loses his money, what are you laughing? Like my choice of words? Or? Oh, that's my boy. Even if he loses his money, he will not worry, nor will he mourn its loss. Instead, he will thank Hashem for taking the deposit away from him, just as he thanked for him when he got the deposit in the first place. He will rejoice, rejoice with his portion, will not seek that others be financially harmed, and will not be desirous of other people's money. As the wise man Shlema Melech said, a righteous man eats to sate his appetite. So, um, you know, I think this is a... You've seen people who lose their money, and then they pull down everybody with them. So it's a common thing. Unfortunately, someone's going through a hard time. They'll do things that are maybe unscrupulous or, you know, they because it's survival and they need to just do what they need to do to survive and, and they, they're destroying those around them because, uh, what should I do? It is what it is. They don't have a sense of understanding that it's, that's, it's all from Hashem and doing that's not going to help. They, they, it's like a burning ship. They just grab everything to burn it with it. And it's a massive challenge and it's not to judge anyone that does that. It's, it's a real thing. He's saying that clearly this is a way to avoid that. And the bottom... Uh, the, um, the, the note on page 28 if he if, even if he loses his money so God tests man in two ways the test of poverty and the test of wealth I think we spoke about this lastly briefly Shlema uh, Melech asked of God to be tested with neither give me neither poverty nor riches just feed my allotted bread for perhaps I will be overly satiated and deny you saying who's God or I might be, become poor and feel like I have no other choice and steal and swear in the name of my God so, nevertheless, if we were to be tested, the test of wealth would be obviously easier and more rewarding. Therefore, we must ask for the test of wealth and use it properly. This explains why Shlema Melech first asks that he not be tested with poverty, because if a man needs to be tested, his first request is that it not be the test of poverty, which is more difficult and causes more pain and stress. As our sages teach, poverty makes a man lose his mind and rebel against the will of Hashem. So obviously, being wealthy is what we should all strive for and uh, if we're going to be tested let it be with uh, how to not think that we're giving him money or we're giving him the loan let that be all of our uh, mutual uh, big tests and betachen as opposed to oh my god how am I uh, paying for my, my kids uh, meal tomorrow top of page 29 material benefits so now we've talked about all these benefits that are seen through the, the spiritual lens it's, it helps you to be uh, more relaxed it helps you to be uh, more uh, relaxed in, in your service of Hashem, whether it's giving charity or buying nice tefillin. Now let's talk about the material benefits. So up until this point, the author has been listing the Torah advantages of Betachem. In the remainder of his introduction, remember this is still an introduction, it's quite the introduction, he will discuss the advantages that Betachem brings to a person in his materialistic pursuits. The benefits of Betachem in worldly matters are as follows. One, stress-free. Among them is the peace of mind from the worries of this world, tranquility from the nagging of the spirit and its pain, which is due to the person's lack of obtaining his physical desires. A person who does not have betachin is never at peace. 
he always feels that he's missing something. But a person who has betachin is at rest, he feels secure and peace of this world, as it says in Yermio, the very famous line that we say in benching all the time, Baruch HaGever Asher Yiftach Miftachai. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, the Lord shall be his trust. And as the following Pasuk says, For he shall be like a tree planted by the water and by a rivulet spread by its roots. These Pesukim are cited as proof that a person who has betachin is at peace and is neither afraid nor worried, even when bad befalls him because he knows he's being taken care of. So bottom line is, forget about whether or not you're going to be thankful that you do have the ability to help others or you don't have the ability to help others, so you're thanking him for not having the stress. Bottom line is, it'll give you a stress-free existence because you trust in God, you trust that he's going to take care of you. So whether it seems to be good, it seems not to be good, you're going to go to sleep that night because you know Hashem is taking care of you. Bottom line, lower, blo- lower blood pressure, less reason to, uh, to go to the chiropractor, more reasons to smile, less gray hair, etc., and as my back hurts me and my hair is white at the young age of 39, you can clearly see I struggle. <laughs> uh, immunity from the fatigue of traveling. This is an interesting one. Another advantage of betachin as it affects a person is material pursuits. Among the worldly benefits is that having betachin creates in the person the peace of mind that comes from not needing to travel long distances. Such travel can destroy people's bodies and hasten death due to the excessive motion and change of climate involved. What's that? Well, yeah, so this is a thousand years ago, so travel is... But I think uh, all of us who may travel for business can also attest that it, it, it takes a serious toll, and then it can be, take a toll, even if it's not physically a toll, it can take a toll on your, on your marriage, it can take a toll with your children, it can take a toll on your sanity. It's just, uh, you know, sleeping in your, in your bed every night, it's, a, it's not just a saying, it's a, it's a good thing. It's, it's important, it's, it's grounding, etc. So the author quotes a Pusik that supports this notion that excessive travel can cause a person to lose strength and hasten his death. As it says in Tillim, he has afflicted my strength on the way and he has shortened my days. And the author will relate a tale to make his point. As has been related regarding an, aesthetic, an aesthetic's path to asceticism, which in the um, Hebrew, the word is prushim, which... I don't know what Persian. Anyone have a better translation of Persian than aesthetic? Because I don't think it's a great translation. So, 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 so I guess someone that's trying to be, uh, I guess, live what above it all. Somebody have Google. Let's just, let's just look for us. What's it called a cinnamon? What, what, what do we call it? A cinnamon. I can't believe I'm questioning the translation. I said I wouldn't, but I just don't know what it means. So. I mean, I know what it means in this context, but let's look for a better word. No, I want to, like, like what's, I, I know that, I, I want to, like... Sever, sever self, severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Got it. Um, so he tells the story of said uh, individual who was looking to separate himself from all indulgences for the religious purpose as follows. He, he went to a faraway land, it's actually a great story, to seek his sustenance during the beginning of his asceticism. During his travels, he met a star worshiper in a city where he had arrived. So he met an astronomer or, a, I don't know, maybe a psychic. And the ascetic told the star worshiper, How much are you in a state of ultimate blindness and lack of understanding in your service of the stars? Basically, he started to uh, beat down on this guy, you know, this idol worshiper. 
So the auto worshiper replies, and whom exactly do you serve? So he replied, I serve the Creator, who is able to do anything, who sustains, who is one, who provides food for each person according to his needs, and there is no one like him. So the idol worshiper says to him, with a sarcastic smirk, he doesn't write that, but I'm imagining it, if I was making a movie, would you agree? It would be like a sarcastic smirk. And he goes, uh, good sir, your actions contradict your words. How so, says the ascetic. He goes, the idol worshiper replies, if what you said were to be true, that God, then God would provide for you in your city, just as he provided for you until now. And you, my dear friend, would not need to bother yourself to come all the way to my town to find cash. With this, the argument of the ascetic was shut down. Consequently, he returned to his land, except upon himself to be an ascetic, and from that time on, never left his city again. So, booyah, burn, bam. Here the auto worshiper tells the guy, if you really believed anything you were saying, you'd be back in Parkland, you know, sitting on Parkside, doing what you need to do, as opposed to have traveled all the way here. And then while you're here, you're trying to knock me. Dude, maybe you don't have it so figured out. And the guy left. So, interesting little side note here. With the argument of the ascetic was shut down, the commentary in the bottom of 30, Rabbi Yaakov Emden argues that there are valid reasons that cause a person's inability to find a livelihood in his place of dwelling, which does require him to travel, because obviously it's a good question. I mean, I travel all the time for business. Why do I travel? Maybe I should just try to make that Kaylee here. And Rabbi Emden writes that this was in fact his own situation. And it was not due to a lack of trust in God. Rather, it was the will of God that he traveled to earn his parnasa. He continues that it is also the advice of our sages in the Gemara, that a person who does not find substance in one city should travel to another. The travel can be for one of three reasons. One, the person does not merit to find his Parnassah in his hometown, and he has to travel to provide himself because of his sins, because exile brings forgiveness. Two, God causes a person to travel so that he's not, he won't be around the evil people of his town. He'll get him out, keep him out of trouble. Three, is the need to travel might simply be a test from God to see if his belief is non-wavering despite the hardship. Rabbi Emden points out that many of the Jewish sages and even the forefathers traveled for their survival. The Baal Shem Tov teaches that Ashkacha Pratis, divine providence, leads a person to a certain place. He explains the Pasuk, and you will go to that place that, Lord, that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there, as follows. You must know that you go from one place to another because Hashem, chose, Hashem has chosen this path so that His name will dwell there. God orchestrates that you end up in this specific place in order to spread the light of God in that very place. This is from Hayyam Yom of Chai Elo. And Rabbi Emdim concludes with a simple question. If indeed God orchestrates that a person needs to travel for his business, then why did the ascetic not know what to respond to the idol worshiper? His answer is the reason why the ascetic returned home was his realization that traveling caused him to be near bad people. Like the idol worshiper. So the aesthetic did not even respond to the idol worshiper because he did not want to even waste time in dialogue. So God bless Rabbi Emden. Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Emden basically is looking for the qualities of this, uh, this fine man who was burned <laughs> by the idol worshiper. Okay, next advantage. Harm-free employment. It's a, uh, a hazard-free environment. Among the material benefits is that betachin instills in a person a peace of mind and body that comes from not needing to perform difficult work nor engage in occupations that tire the body. He will also be at peace due to the inability to abandon the service of kings, sorry, to the, due to the ability 
to abandon the service of kings and their laws and to avoid the corruption of their servants. A person who trusts in Hashem chooses those means of sustenance for himself that entail greater rest for his body, give him a good name, and leave him heart, leave his heart free from worry. He also chooses these occupations that are more helpful for his Torah observance. All this is due to his, his strong belief that the means of sustenance will not add to his amount of sustenance, nor will it cause him to lack anything. His amounts of sustenance will only be increased or decreased by the decree of God, may he be blessed. So harm-free employment basically is that he's not going to do anything that uh, is going to, he's not going to push his limits in any which way, whether it's physical labor or just overworking at the office, because he knows that he has trust in Hashem, Hashem will give him what he's supposed to, he can't increase or decrease any of his, his uh, earnings by doing something. It reminds me of a, of a, a story I had, I, was, I had a little building I bought in, in Miami, and we were, I was fixing, we were doing construction to fix this building, it has apartments to, to rent apartments. And I hired a friend of mine to do the construction, and his, it was really behind, and his laborers weren't showing up on time. Anyways, I, I, I call him up, and I'm like, listen, I, you're killing me, got to get this thing ready. He's like, fine, I'm going to go tomorrow, I'm going to do the work, don't worry about it, I got it. So I swing by during the day, and I, like, I, either I rented the apartment, and the guy was going to move in, but I, I needed this thing done. So I was like, you know, fine, I'll help you. Parked my car, I got out of this thing, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not built for construction in any way, shape, or form. I certainly am not able to do construction, but I'm schlepping, I'm helping my friend out. And my friend's a GC, this is what he does for a living. He's a you know, built guy, he's got laborers, he can do it himself, this is what he does. Anyways, I'm holding, maybe five minutes into it, I'm holding something up, a, a uh, not aluminum, a metal gate with those, you know, like the, the spikes? falls on my back and like cuts my back. Now, thank God it was nothing crazy, but it was, I got like really hurt and I had to stop. And I had to go home and I had, a, I had like, a, maybe I had a little scar there still. And it was a pain for a few days, but it was like, and I, I don't know if we were learning, if I was learning this with my wife at the time or we just, I caught on it later, but it was such a great example of like, stop it. You're not gonna change anything because now you're becoming a contractor. That's not how it works. If the apartment's supposed to be finished, you hired a contractor, that's what you do. He doesn't work out, fine, hire another contractor. Don't think that you're going to change the plan because you, Shmendrick, are going to try to fix the apartment. Just you know, get back in your car and go home and say, Kapitel, tell him or something. So it's just a, 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 real, a real live experience that happened to me, so I definitely put myself in harm way. Um, You think because we have the mindset of trying something or not being uh... not doing the physical labor in some sense? Oh, you say, gotcha. Like, you know what I mean? There's like different things that we do. We use our head. Listen, you're a pretty tall guy, but the rest of us, you know, five, five foot five Jews that, you know, a little overweight, can hardly, you know, schlep, we challenge, and I get you. It's a good point. We supply desks. <laughs> it's a very valid point. 
So uh, <laughs> there's a footnote on the bottom of 32 where it says, uh, helpful for his Torah obligations. So he's saying that you know, by having betachin, you also will do things that are going to help in, in keeping the Torah. So it says in the middle of that paragraph, the Lubavitcher ever wrote in a letter in response to your question, if you should return to a city that has no minion for work. I wrote all the above because I do not know the degree of your betachin. However, if you are strong in this respect with simple faith and you seek just a vessel for, for livelihood, God will grant you your livelihood in a place where there is a minion, etc. And you will be able to carry out all your obligations. So just in a, you know, a nice advice from the, from the Rebbe to somebody and saying, listen, if you think you have to go to another town, okay, go to another town. But if you, if you got it all together, stick at home, dive with the minion, and you'll be fine. But he, I mean, obviously the Rebbe counters it with it's based on your betachin. If you have it, you don't have to run around. If you, if you don't have it, maybe, you know, I don't know, I'm just, par- you know, I'm, I'm putting words in the Rebbe's mouth, but I'm just saying. Second note is... Um, <laughs> exactly, 7.30 in the morning. Um, 6.30, sorry. The second note that caught my attention is uh, at the end of that paragraph, he says, uh, a decrease by the decree of God may he be blessed. So the person knows that his sustenance will not be increased or decreased. So the, it's the second paragraph on 32 on the right side in the middle. Even with the greatest toil, this is from Ayyam Yayim, I believe, yep. A person cannot earn one cent more than what Hashem has ordained. A person must do what's necessary, and he must remember that all of our work are only of secondary importance. Of primary importance is God's blessing. The blessings are earned by acting in an appropriate way for a Jew, praying with a minion, keeping Shabbos and Kashrus vigilantly, educating his children under the guidance of God-fearing teachers. Hayyam Yayim from Dalit of. So on top of 32, we're in the, in the um, little paragraph on the bottom of the text. This being the case, he doesn't feel the need to choose a stressful job. Instead, he chooses a job that involves little stress and is conducive to his observance of mitzvahs. The author will now cite a pasuk as proof that a person does not become wealthy through traveling. Rather, it's God who causes people to be rich and poor. As it says in Tehillim, For it's not from the east or from the west, nor from the desert that elevation comes. Rather, God judges, he humbles this one and elevates that one. Likewise, it says in Tillim, He causes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Next item is no distress. Among the material benefits is that a person who has betachen will have less anguish in business. If, for example, he can't sell his merchandise, or if he's not able to collect the debt that's owed to him, or if he becomes physically ill, naturally a person who becomes, will become upset or even angry if any of these things happen. Nevertheless, a person who has betachin will not let these things upset him. This is because he knows that Hakadosh Baruch Hu repairs his matters better than he can, better than he can, and chooses what's good for him better than what he would choose for himself. As it says in Tehillim, "Only to God should you hope, my soul, for my hope is from Him." Which is a great Chabad nigan. Ach lelehim doimi nafshi kimeni tikvasi God knows what's the best for a person, and as such, a person's hope should be placed only in God. So simply put, is that if you think everybody probably has experienced some sort of seemingly upset in something. I remember when I was, uh, I'm actually kind of going through it right now also, but in 2000, between 2005 and 2008, I was in real estate at the time, the company I was working for and I was leading acquisitions, we probably made a hundred offers on buildings. And we won none of them. We had one successful project that I was working on and that I couldn't find another project, couldn't actually buy it. Nothing. And it was so upsetting. 
because business was great and I knew what I was doing and we had the capital, but I couldn't close a deal. And of course, in 2008, every deal that we would have bought, even one of them, tanked every single you know, company that bought those deals. It was the good old days of condo conversions and condos. You know, people were flipping condos before the condo even came on the market. So you know, later, it was hindsight's 2020 was one of those classic examples of, you don't know. There's many stories of, of people who have, uh, certainly I've heard with the Rebbe, and I think it was with, the, with some material that somebody had. It, was, it may have been with the Deitches, with plastic or material, something that they couldn't get rid of. And, and uh, I might be confusing stories, but again, they kept it and they were able to sell it at a later date for a much larger profit than initially they would have been able to sell it for if they sold it at the time that they were looking to get rid of it. I think it was Deitch, if not, it was somebody. But the point is, hindsight's twenty twenty. so if you can remember that with foresight, then uh, you'll be in good shape. When did you start learning... Um, like regularly or my first time ever? Like, reg- I guess, when did you start? Like, um, what year did Trump become president? 16? So probably 2014, 15, 2014, probably? 2015? It's almost 10 years. Because I have a very, I have a very, um, Strong memory of, of learning. I, I don't know why, but I just that was that was your toughest focus on Trump. Winning. Not at all, <laughs> not at all. But I mean, I not have anything against Trump. Not not that I had anything against Trump back then. Today's another story. But I I um, no about 2014 2015. I was learning on every day, every morning. Always happy. Top of 34. So. In addition to refusing to get upset when things do not go as planned, a person who has betachin can actually rejoice with whatever comes his way. It's like those, you know, it's like a stoner. You ever meet a stoner? They're always just like chilling. So this is like the natural chillage. Among the material benefits is that a person who has betachin is happy. I guess not, I shouldn't say a stoner. I should say, Yankee, when you learn to breathe, as I'm learning, you're also kind of always happy. So I take that back. No offense to all of my stoner friends. <laughs> this is not a judgment. Among, what's up? <laughs> Among the material benefits is that a person who has betachin is happy with whatever is forced upon him, even if it's difficult and against his nature. He's able to be happy because of his trust in God that he will only do to him which is good for him in all matters, just as a caring mother does for her newborn child when she washes, diapers, swaddles, and unswaddles him, even if it's against the newborn's will. In the same manner that a mother occasionally does things against her child's will because it's really for the good of the child, so too God sometimes does things to a person that seems to him is not good and therefore against his will, but are ultimately in his best interest. You just had a daughter, so have you taken her for her shots yet? Yeah, so you know that's got to be a very difficult thing to watch. You go to the pediatrician, yeah. and then, uh, but you of course knew that as you were, they were administering the shot that you were doing it for the benefit of your daughter. Your daughter, as she was getting the shot, no doubt was like, what the hell is wrong with these dynamic parents of mine? But of course, it's a, a beautiful, simple example, but a very deep one, that as a parent, you're, you're looking out for the best of your child, as Hashem looks out for the best of us. As David HaMelech, Olav HaShalom, said, and I don't know why he says Olav HaShalom here, I don't know that he says it every time, but it's interesting. I swear that I calmed and quieted my soul like a suckling on its mother, like a suckling was my soul with me. Basically, when a baby is uh, feeding from its mother, it's very relaxed and calm and is not really worrying about much. The idea of the person's of the natural, the idea of presence and of consciousness and of every moment is at the moment should be 
Yeah, and it's and, and perfect, in, in perfection. And uh, it's actually interesting when you think about it. He talks about it throughout many times, and he quotes David Amelech a lot on the topic. But it really is amazing to watch a baby. A baby, first of all, is completely relaxed. Baby never knows, never worries about where its next meal will come from. It's a very interesting thing. A child it never. Knows, it, it knows it, it, it's just. It, I don't know if it knows within that it's good. It just. It's good. Like it, a child is never like, hey, I better save some for later. It's like it's just. It's always secure in the fact that lunch will be there. Period. The end. And in the present moment. Yeah. There's no past. It's just there. It's pretty powerful. And with that, we now are going to outline the seven chapters that we will begin next week. So now that we've had the 30-page introduction, <laughs> which again, remember, think about it. It's literally 30 pages. He wrote this book a thousand years ago. It's like, it's pretty intense when you think about that. Like, and how it, this entire introduction, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but did anybody feel like any part of this was unrelatable? It's More all... Exactly. So here's what he says. The author concludes his introduction by outlining the content of the seven chapters of Shahr B'Tachim. So, since I've explained that which has occurred to me pertaining to the benefits of having trust in God and its benefits both in regard to Torah matters, worldly pursuits, I will now explain seven matters pertaining to B'Tachim. So, number one, what is trust? Two, the causes that enable a person to trust in another. Three, to explain the prerequisites due to which a person is obligated to have trust in God as well as to explain the obligations to engage in the means to pursue a livelihood. Four, explain the matters regarding which a person should trust in God, as well as when it's praiseworthy to have trust and when it's not. Five, the difference between how a man who has trust in God engages in the pursuit of business and how a man who does not have trust in God engages in it. Six, to explain the ways in which logic dictates that a person must criticize the opinion of those who say that people should engage in the pursuit of worldly pleasures and delay accepting upon themselves the service of Hashem until they obtain their materialistic desires, whom the author refers to as the owners of the security pledge. This is interesting. It's a whole chapter that he discusses why you ever said to yourself, hey God, listen, as soon as I hit hit this thing, I'm going to show, I'm going to dive in, I'm going to get really serious about it, but I'm trying to get myself set up right now, you know what I'm saying? So he actually has a whole chapter, like, don't make that deal, with like, big mistake, not, not the path that you want to go down. And number seven, to explain those matters that hinder a person's trust in God, and also to elaborate on all that we need to discuss regarding the matter of trust and to summarize the levels of trust. So in summary, placing trust in God brings tranquility in all areas of a person's life. It allows him to serve God with more peace and affords him an anxiety-free <coughs> lifestyle. T B C to be continued. Yeah, absolutely.